This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Placer.ai is the world's most advanced foot traffic analytics platform, providing unprecedented visibility with accurate and actionable insights into the foot traffic analytics and consumer demand surrounding any location. Placer observes anonymized location data from a panel of over 30 million devices in the U.S. They then analyze the data with AI and machine learning algorithms to make estimations on visit trends for any retail location anywhere in the country. The platform empowers professionals in retail and commercial real estate to maximize their offline activities with reporting capabilities that include visit trends, true trade areas, cannibalization, void analysis, demographics, cross-shopping, favorite places, and much more. Try it for free at www.placer.ai. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today we have a special guest. He is a multifamily investor and owner. His name is Anthony Scandariato. Anthony is the co-founder of Red Knight Properties. Red Knight Properties is privately held boutique, multifamily, and mixed-use real estate investment and property management company with a track record of building and managing portfolios that deliver dependable cash flow and equity upside. Rednet has about 800 units and $100 million under management. Welcome to the show, Anthony. Thanks for having me on, Chris. Really appreciate it. Anthony, why don't you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, so happy to do that. I'll kind of take you back to um, how I started in the business. I've, I've been in the business since 20, um, really 2016, so about eight years, and uh, ended up working for another real estate sponsor who was buying multi-tenant investment grade Class A office up and down the East Coast. And, um, you know, we were in a bunch of different markets, anywhere from New Jersey all the way down to Florida. And, um, you know, got to learn a lot there. I started out as an analyst. I learned underwriting. I raised capital. I learned how to structure debt. I learned property management. I learned construction management. I learned how to lease. I learned, um, you know, how to somewhat structure and organize your business. Um, so I, I, I had a great run there. I kind of led into the role of, uh, you know, kind of like a VP of acquisitions during my tenure there. Um, helped double the size of their portfolio to about 600 million to a little bit over a billion. It was about four and a half million square feet to seven million square feet within that, I think, a six and a half year time period I worked there. And, um, you know, had a great run and saw a lot. And at the same time, while I was working, I was buying uh, properties on the side. Um, just whatever money I'd make from my job, I would throw 80% of it back into. Uh, real estate and I bought a two family on my own I, I bought basically six units on my own between three different transactions and uh, I was basically fixed and flipped one and then I bought and hold another and same thing with the other one and I really loved the idea of uh, passive income although it was, wasn't truly passive I did do work but now I really don't do much at all I still own some of them and uh, really like the idea of checks coming in pretty much every single month and um, you know I like I like the business and at least the asset class. So um, <clears throat> ever since then, um, you know, I, I ran into um, 
uh, now my business partner, uh, Brian Leonard, uh, he actually ended up playing for the NFL for eight years, uh, retired in his uh, early 30s when he, he, he came out, uh, local to New Jersey, which is where I'm based. And I met him through a former coworker of mine who just introduced me to him. And he knew, a uh, former coworker knew I was buying some smaller multifamily. And my partner, Brian, um, wanted to be active and manage his money and, and grow and, and start a business in the multifamily space. So we got together, got to get to know each other for a few months and ended up buying um, a, a property together. It was a 10 unit mixed use deal. So apartments on the ground floor, I'm sorry, retail on the ground floor, apartments above in um, Northern New Jersey, which is where we both reside. And then we ended up buying about 70 units together. It was mixed use and multifamily, um, you know, between I think it was like six or seven different assets uh, from 2018 to 2019. During that time period, we were able to sell a couple and also refinance to cash our refi on a few and basically execute on our business plan. So we thought, okay, great. We can, you know, we're doing it for ourselves. Why don't we look to do a bigger deal and bring on additional investors? So that's when we found in kind of late 2019, a a 50 unit property in Northern New Jersey, which was pretty local to us. And, uh, you know, we ended up syndicating that. So we brought on, you know, mostly individuals, uh, higher net worth or high income individuals, um, it was about 20 or 25 of us that partnered together to uh, acquire this asset. And we were the managers, we were the operators. And, um, you know, uh, since we bought that asset, basically the day after we bought it, I left um, the, my former company to start and pursue Red Knight really on a full-time basis. Um, so since then, um, you know, we, we're up to about 800 units, hopefully soon to be 1,000. Uh, we're in five, uh, four different states, um, hopefully soon to be five. And it's been really interesting, um, the market. And obviously, when I left, we got hit with the pandemic. Um, so that was interesting timing with that, too, but really made it through. Obviously benefited from, you know, the Fed funds rate being zero, basically, uh, which we didn't realize that was going to happen, but we did. And um, yeah, we've, we've gone full cycle on probably a dozen deals at the moment. Um, they've all been high, kind of high net worth individuals or high income individuals just investing let's say it's fifty thousand or a hundred thousand at a time um and you know benefiting from basically all the benefits you get to invest in real estate without mat the management component that's where we come in so uh, we do have a, a property management company that we built up because that's how we started um so we we you know have leasing agents and maintenance techs and i have a senior property management that works for us a property manager that works for us that oversees software um, workflow systems, collections, tenant move-ins, move-outs. And, uh, you know, we have a bookkeeper on staff as well. So kind of built up the management team alongside our investment team. So that's where we are. Uh, and, you know, looking to grow in other states um, and other markets within the U.S. that, you know, I was exposed to while I worked at uh, my former company. So I feel comfortable with them and uh, not just going all over the place for the sake of it. And, um yeah, just really excited to see where the market goes. Obviously, we're in a little different time, uh, about to be in a little bit more uh, bearish times, at least in the stock market, um, and kind of you know preparing ourselves for that and having cash available to take advantage of opportunities. But um, that's that's where we're at, Chris. Well, thank you for the overview. <clears throat> so you were in the office business. Do you miss it? Uh, yes and no. I, I, it was very analytical. Uh, multifamily is analytical too. It can be, can be, especially if you're modeling like a 500 unit, uh, deal and you have a heavy CapEx plan. Um, 
you know, office, you have to analyze every single company. You have to analyze the creditworthiness of the tenants. Um, we weren't buying single tenant, triple net type of product. It was multi-tenant. I had 30 companies in the building. So we'd have to analyze every single company, um, you know, and I kind of missed that. It's kind of cool to see different companies in and out. Um, but, you know, I don't miss the asset class. I kind of, you know, saw writing on the walls, more people working from home, even before the pandemic hit. Um, you know, occupancy is never really going above a certain standpoint in certain markets we were in. Um, always paying TIs and LCs all the time, capital calls all the time. Um, so I just, uh, to me, and I saw the returns that we were getting on the multi, and I was like, this is like night and day for much less work. So, um, you know, they have different risk factors, and you could, you know, we were very good at office, and they still are, um, and they did well, and you could do that well with. You know any asset class you put your mind to it but the, the niche is important so uh i i kind of don't miss it um compared to what we're doing now and i don't know if you can say but who, who were you with before uh yeah it was with the company called vision properties uh, based out of northern new jersey okay great team so you're in an interesting space right now right because when you get Really, it gets more institutional when you get over about 100 units. And so it, under 100 units, and call it that 5 to 20, $25 million range, it's still a pretty scrappy environment from a real estate investment environment. Um, there's, in all aspects, right, from the, the types of investors to the, uh, the debt that you're procuring and a whole bunch of different avenues. I'm, I'm curious how you found, do you plan to stay in that niche or do you plan to get scale up and get over a hundred unit type deals, 500 unit type deals and whatnot? Yeah, we've done over a hundred units in one transaction, um, you know, but there's still within that $20 million deal size range. I'm doing a, hopefully a 280 unit deal that's 20 million. So, um, so it's kind of still within that size ranges. We're still not at not targeting institutional capital. Um, I've done that. I've worked with institutional capital, family office money from working at Vision. Um, and they're, they're different. They're similar and different. Um, we, we take an institutional approach and apply it to, you know, our syndication model. Um, so, you know, it's, we're finding the opportunities come within the middle market because, you know, you are dealing, like you said, scrappy. You're dealing with scrappy owners. You're dealing with, you know, uh, motivated sellers, you're dealing with situations where, you know, let's say the father and, you know, mother dies and they pass on to the kids and the kids don't want it and they, they put it on the market. So, and obviously there's a lot of upside and deals like that and, um, you know, mismanaged opportunities, high expense ratios and poor, poor you know, um, if, you know, poor um, uh, utility systems and in, in older assets for buying mostly maybe 70s and 80s products. Uh, class C workforce housing, and we try to bring up to class C plus, B minus in like B areas uh, within an hour of like a major metro. So we're secondary-ish markets. Um, so, you know, it's it's different. Um, you know, we're buying assets that are well below replacement costs. We're, you know, buying decently, decent cap rates going in. We're buying, you know, income producing going in um, with tons of upside. So kind of get the best of both worlds in my opinion. Um, so yeah, you meant, you know, you really got going at the start of a pandemic. 
I guess first question, how has rent collections during the pandemic given you owned in workforce housing environments? Yeah, uh, we were pretty fortunate. Um, I could count on one hand how many tenants didn't pay the whole time. Um, still kind of dealing with the, <laughs> it's crazy, still dealing with the after effects in terms of um, actually collecting from them. Um, but, you know, every time I look at the collection report, it's the same, same, oh, same person, same person, 20 grand, same person. Now it's 25, now it's 30. Same, it's, there was like literally just a few people. And, um, you know, you go to the property, you see new cars outside. Oh, where'd you get that new car? How'd you get that? You know, how come you haven't paid your rent? So unfortunately, I, a lot of, and people did suffer. People really needed help. And, um, you know, it's, we did, we did well. We made through it. Um, we were, you know, able to uh, refinance a couple of deals too, given the, you know, the low interest rate environment we were in pull out a little bit of money, had some more cash in the accounts at all times. Um, collections have been strong pretty much for the past year, I would say, uh, 90% plus. Um, they dipped down in the 80s definitely during the pandemic on a couple of assets, but I, like I said, I can count on one hand how many haven't like really paid. Um, so yeah. Well, so as the 2020 moved on, then the market frenzy from a real estate perspective started to happen and you were able to acquire deals in a time where it's really challenging to buy uh, cap rates were compressing and compressing how was that yeah um we just stuck to our guns i mean we you know coming from the institutional background and, and being in it and kind of seeing different rate cycles um even though i haven't has really i haven't really seen the bottom like 2008 um myself um it just kind of stuck to our principles i wasn't you know i i didn't care if rates were three percent i i still won't i still wouldn't buy a three cap uh, four cap three cap i still wouldn't i wouldn't do it i just couldn't get my head around it so i was still buying six plus like no matter what it was always a six cap like or at least close to it like uh, like lit on t12 like in place so um because i just it's, it's a cyclical market. I just know that, you know, the rates are going to go up at some point. It's not going to last forever. And cap rates should expand a little bit, I mean, at some point. Um, so, yeah, we bought a lot. We, we, we didn't stop buying in 2020. Um, I knew there was a supply-demand issue for the type of product we were buying. Uh, so we bought a decent amount in 2020, actually. And then we bought even more in 2021. Um, so... Yeah, definitely competitive. All the deals we work on are off market or either lightly marketed um, in relationship with the broker uh, or whatever that we've maybe bought from before or I've known them from working at my old job or whatever. Um, they're able to bring us some decent opportunities um, in, in 2021, even 2020, and we were able to take advantage of them. And uh, yeah, we weren't we we didn't get caught up in the bidding war frenzy. We just I. We never did that. We did some of that at my prior job, and I, I didn't like that. I always liked, uh, okay, like, wh what's the price you need to take this off the market? Or, hey, um, I got this opportunity we're about to bring to market. Do you want to take a crack at it first? Conversation from the broker. So I'm used to that, and I like doing business that way because it cuts through a lot of fluff, and you don't waste time. So um, those are the types of opportunities we got and, and still continue to get um, moving forward. Makes sense. I it becomes more challenging to find the bigger you get those, but those are, uh, those are great opportunities. So now the market's changing. You mentioned 
the stock market's a little uh, getting a little bearish and interest rates are moving. How has been the debt side for you now, given what's going on? Yeah, um, you just got to price it in. Um, you know, as long, you price it in and you analyze your risk. Um, don't do, you know, 85% loan to cost that, you know, bridge debt right now um, at whatever, 500 over SOFR, 600 over SOFR. It's just stupid to me, um, especially for deals that aren't cash flowing um, and that you have to reposition. And, you know, you, don't, you just don't want to be in a situation where you go to refi, you know, or take out the bridge debt or you go to sell and you end up doing a capital call because the property is not worth what you think it was worth. So um, we're just being aware of where we are at in this cycle right now. We're putting a lot of fixed rate debt on our, our assets, um, at least the ones that we already own. And uh, yes, we do have some bridge debt. Um, you know, we, we're already like 80% done with our business plan on those anyway. Um, and the rates are stupid low on them. Um, and our, our loan, to va- uh, loan to costs are stupid low. We're talking about in like the 50s. So, um, you know, we're just aware of the type of leverage um, you know, we're, we're, we're putting on our assets and the type of terms and, you know, we just don't want to get caught up in, um, you know, the uh, rising rate environment on, on the tail end when we go to a capital event. And, and so given that at the, you know, 50 LTC in the 50s, the value add component must be significant. What What's the the capex required to, to add the value and then what type of rental increases are you seeing because of that? Um, I know it's different every business plan. It's a, it's a broad question. I get it. Yeah, I never relied on rent growth. I've always just kind of looked at market comps, even compared them prior to where they were at the, during the pandemic. So, um, you know, so I mean, we, to be honest with you, I mean, we've raised rents 100% on a couple of deals, but um, I would never underwrite that. Um, usually you're looking at like maybe a 20 to 30% growth in NOI over a three-year period. Let's just say that we'll underwrite. Um, and, but they're backed up. Like, so like we're buying three bed, you know, a property, a 50 unit that has three bedrooms going for $550 in a market where that's like 1500 in the state of, in like central Florida. Um, and there's like a great story behind it and very mismanaged or whatever. So um, I'm not buying like sexy product. I'm buying working class product, um, and that hasn't been, you know, been in some families' generations for a while. So I, I'm looking at just I'm looking at a loss to lease. I'm not really looking at rent growth. Rent growth. Um, you know, I think rent growth will slow down. We have benefited from rent growth, um, but it's definitely going to slow down. The party's not going to stop. Start, you know, keep going in perpetuity. Twenty percent this year, twenty percent next year, because that's some. We've got that in some markets, especially in like Phoenix, for example. That's like one. Of, I think that's like number one, and then Miami. You know, we saw that. So um, it's you know we just like to see where we're at in the first place, where we can get it to, and then we'll you know we'll go from there on in terms of uh, a capital event and what we're looking to do with the asset. So so two things. One, you mentioned a term that the listeners might not know: loss to lease. Would it would define that for everyone? Yeah, just like market rent relative to where, where, where's the market rent for the same exact finishes in your unit, like literally the same product, the same vintage, uh, without doing any upgrades. 
So if that's a significant amount already, and you're going to make upgrades, I mean, you should be fine. Um, and that's how I always like to look at those things. And, and then are most of the properties just underleased and undermanaged, or do they need yes. capital upgrades? Both. Um, you know, we're, let's say, average. We've been under budget on some deals. Um, never been over budget, been on budget. Um, you know, let's say we're putting in five to $8,000 a unit, and but we're not doing all the units for the, like, most of the time. I'm sure, if we held them, I'm sure we will eventually over time. Um, but that's usually the capital budget we're seeing. We're not doing anything crazy. We're you know, exterior renovations, maybe new monument signage. We'll put you know, new outdoor furniture, you know, grilling station, a little bit of outdoor amenities, new landscaping, maybe paint the buildings, um, uh, you know, maybe new, new um, uh, walkways. We'll paint the walkways if they're concrete or, if, you know, we'll get rid of them. We'll put pavers in and, uh, you know, we'll do, kit, you know, kitchens, so countertops, uh, maybe paint the cabinets if we can reuse them, backsplashes, uh, flooring. If it's carpet, we'll do laminate. Um, you know, bathrooms if we need to touch them. So they're not like crazy, crazy renovations. They're kind of stand, you know, standard uh, value add. And and how, how are you determining? Like, what, bring me into the organization. Is it you and Brian? Is it a couple people deciding like how much we're going to put into these deals to add the value on the per unit level? Yeah, I mean, it's really the two of us that are going to make that decision at the end of the day. Um, you know, and just based upon our experience in, in the markets and in the business and what we've seen cost-wise on other deals. Uh, so we're able to kind of project that out pretty detailed unit by unit almost. We see when we go under contract due diligence, we see every single unit. Like literally, we just looked at one, it was 280 units. We got into 275 of them on one inspection. <laughs> so we'll, we'll go, we have what we call a happy inspector. So we you know take pictures and then we upload it right to our system. And it goes into our property management software. So we're pretty detailed um, and we have a good idea for what we're looking to do at each, each unit. So a lot of what we've talked about so far has been lollipops and rainbows. Give me the one like really you were sweating or horror story. Give me a little bit of something that's gone awry. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I think the challenges we have had, and we still continue to have it, but we mitigated some of that risk is like just uh, since we self-manage, uh, getting good staff, getting good maintenance technicians, getting good leasing agents. Um, I can't tell you how many maintenance technicians we've hired and fired. I mean, I, you know, I'm going to need 10 hands for that. Um, so, you know, really screening, doing background checks on those even though sometimes they're referred to by tenants that's like the worst <laughs> uh we made that mistake before um you know it's, it was it really on the management side you know tenants uh you know it's a tenant ten haven't had really crazy tenant horror stories although one of them drew me and brian with like a noose and hang his hang this from the noose. nothing happened but uh yeah needless to say she got evicted um but nothing too crazy um i think when we were when we first started out and we were really like like the, the, even the 50 unit deal we were hands-on like brian and i were going up every day um for the first month or so until we found like a maintenance tech or whatever 
and we were banging on the tenant's doors trying to negotiate buyouts like create like crazy stuff um so now at least we got that experience and then we can you know teach somebody else how to do it um so yeah I had some crazy stories for sure but well, you know you brought up a good point learned. you mentioned passive income not so passive because at the end of the day the you're running a business now from just like buying and selling real estate now you're running a business which uh, it has its own complications right you're in you're just as much in the people business today as you are in the real estate business um, yeah. in the you know and as you mentioned the labor market's challenging how has that adjustment been for you yeah we were fortunate to find good good help um, good boots on the ground um, you know we you know I like to say we pay pretty well and we like to retain our employees you know give them uh, praise and bonuses when they do you know things right um, so we're able to retain a decent amount of staff and you just got to keep a good rapport with them because if you don't you know they'll be looking for another job kind of keep up with the market um, but yeah it's been a little bit um, it's been a little bit challenging it depends on the location too sometimes we post in a location we'll get 10 applicants and then another location we'll get 100 so it depends it really depends, um, you know, but we've been pretty fortunate. We've been pretty lucky. It's good to have scale too in, you know, for take, we have about, I want to say 270 units in one area of Florida. Um, so it's, it's good to have that scale because then you can afford a good manage, you know, good manager, good tech or whatever, um, maybe two. Um, and you can, you can pay, you know, you pay them that um, just because you had the scale, you can spread it across the properties. Um, even if it costs you a little bit more than, you know, you, you thought it's worth it. So, um, those just some of those things. Yeah. And, and from the back of house investment side, do you have analysts and the like yet? No, no. Um, so we don't really, we don't really bid on a lot of deals. We kind of, it's like, <laughs> like I said before, off market, like they'll bring it to us, whatever. If we, we kind of know what we're looking for, um, we can do a model, like a rough model in 10 minutes on a deal because we have templates built out. And then we'll really dig into the weeds if an offer gets like accepted or like we start negotiating or whatever. Um, so no, no analyst right now. It'd be nice. Um, you know, have a few interns that are in and out um, that help with some of that stuff. But um, no, we have uh, someone to help with due diligence when we're under contract. Um, and we have like a, a contractor for that, you know, contract with somebody because um, that's a lot of work too and uh, you know try to be involved as much as we can um, a little bit too involved still um, would be nice but depends on like we were, you know, were talking earlier it depends how how big you want your organization to be and where you want the business to go on the deals that you are you're buying you mentioned you're outsourcing the due diligence you guys are doing uh, uh, we have um Someone who we we found on Upwork who has a lot of real estate experience, and so we we do the due diligence kind of with her. We just need help. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a lot processing. So, so I meant to sorry, sorry you know, clarifying. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a lot of stuff to process when you're doing all that due diligence. Leases, yeah. Um, and you found her on Upwork. That's amazing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Not cheap, but you know, um, it's not a full time employee. So, you know, when we have a deal, it just comes out of the closing costs. Um, it's not a crazy amount of money. Um, so that's, um, and 
is that the model for most of the third parties? Like, uh, like legal, no. the legal, I, I'm sure you don't have, I don't have a staff. I don't have legal staff No. So yes, that's th- third party legal, pretty much everything, uh, property management in house, like the con- the construction, like we have maintenance techs that will do renovations too. Not all of them, most of them do. Um, so when they don't, we'll hire, you know, general contractors to help us with that stuff. Um, but yeah, legal, um, accounting, we have bookkeeper in, in house, um, Tax returns I outsource. Um, and you manage the investors in-house? Yep. Oh, yes. So Brian and I do that. You're the IR department? Yeah, well, yes. I'm sure when we were on the call, I had a couple of investors call me. But our investors are pretty good. Um, they don't they don't bother that much. We send out uh, end of each month kind of like high-level deal updates. Okay, where are we at with rents? Where are we at with the business capex? Where are we at with our business You know, percentage of rents to market? Where are we at? Um, so we communicate everything on like literally on a monthly basis via email. So I don't get 50 calls during the day. Um, so yeah, so that's us. We have, um, investor relations software. Um, so we have, you know, basically a portal uh, right on our website. Um, and you know, they could sign their subscription docs, fund the deal. Um, we'll send out the distributions on there. They can track their returns and, that's amazing. um, yeah, so we have that all built out. That's great, man. So where five years, give me red night. What do you guys, where are you guys? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I, I do like catering to the uh, individuals, but uh, as you we were talking earlier, um, depends upon how big the deals can get. Um, so I don't know. I'm not really like a unit count guy. Like it, it's to me, it's not impressive to own a thousand units, um, uh, which is where we're at right now in terms of, you know, I've, I've heard, I have, there's other companies that own a thousand units, but they're like maybe like one of 10 GPs on the deal. We're usually the only general partner um, on all of our deals. Um, so it's kind of like an arbitrary number. It's, it's hard to say. I mean, I like to do like one good deal a quarter if I can every single year. That's kind of where I like to be. So in five years, maybe we'll be at 5,000 units. Who, who knows? Um, and, you know, I'll be in my mid thirties at that point. So who knows, um, you know, what's going to happen. But, uh, you know, I like to at least whatever we bought last year, we try to, you know, double that if we can, or, you know, stick the course with a few good deals a year and, uh, don't get too crazy. Excellent, man. Anything about red night or the market that you haven't talked about that you'd love the audience to know about? No, I mean, if you're looking to connect with me or, or whatever, um, we have a website, we have a podcast as well. I hope to have Chris on there soon. Um, it's called Discovering Multifamily, so check us out on pretty much every platform, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever. Um, and on our website, rednightproperties.com, we have a um, special report you can download. It's, it's like how to leave your nine to five through investing in real estate, which is what I did. Um, so a little special report I put together, um, you know, put in your name and your email. I'll ha- be happy to send it to you. And then once I send it to you, you'll get all my contact info. But you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, just Anthony Scandariato or Red Knight Properties. Excellent, man. Well, Anthony, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Really appreciate the opportunity to speak, man. Thanks, Chris. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at 
Retail Retold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives, so it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.